I did go to Australia and I bought, well, first I worked a wine harvest. And then when I finished the wine harvest, I bought a van and it was a 1990s Ford Econo line. It was one of those commercial vans and it had manual steering and it was a manual gear shift. I don't know how to talk about cars, <laughs> but it was a manual and, and I didn't know how to drive that. And so I have this really funny memory of taking it to a mechanic and the mechanic gives me the keys and I'm trying to drive it out of the parking lot and I keep stalling it. And the mechanic's just with his <laughs> arms crossed looking at me like, uh, are you sure, man? And I was like, no, it'll be cool. It's cool. And I just kept driving, rolled it out of the mechanic shop, went to a roundabout and just kept rolling it through. Like, no, I can't stop. Everybody make way for me. Welcome back to another episode of Drive With Us Podcast a podcast where we explore driving cultures around the world by bringing on a new guest each episode to talk about the crazy things they've experienced on the road, who they are as drivers, and how they became the driver they are today. I'm Bhavneet. And I'm Taryn G. And I feel like I say this every week, but this was another really great interview we had. I love being able to chat with drivers from all parts of the world because I feel like we get to take this like virtual road trip around the world and explore those different driving cultures and it kind of makes me want to start taking actual road trips. <laughs> yes. But today's driver is Chris. Chris from Stockton, California has spent his adult life wandering around aimlessly getting jobs abroad like teaching English in South Korea for a year, selling credit card processing machines for two years in the Bay Area and working for a recruiting agency for three years in San Francisco, Austin, and London. He left it all to backpack around the world for a year and went on some fun adventures like participating in the rickshaw run in India and hitchhiking across Nepal. Throughout his travels across the world, he started Wanderlunge.com, a website where he posts creative short fiction stories, and he's co-authored the book, Time to Be. Let's meet today's driver, Chris. Welcome, Chris, to Drive With Us podcast. Thanks so much for joining us today. Thank you so much for having me. We're super excited to talk to you about your crazy driving experiences. Before we dive into that, let's get to know a little bit about your background of driving. What are some of the places that you've driven and where are you currently? I'll start at the end. So I'm living in Mexico City right now and not driving at all. I'm just walking or taking Ubers to get to wherever I need to go. So I really miss driving. But... I grew up in Stockton, California, didn't really have any crazy driving stories growing up. Uh, and then in college, I went on a million road trips with my rugby team. We did road trips all over the country and it was super fun. And then since graduating from college, I've been doing a lot of traveling. One of my favorite things in the world has become getting a scooter wherever I go and just zipping around on a scooter. And so I did that in India, Nepal, I've done it in a lot of places. It's just really fun and a totally different experience from driving in the States. Well, that leads into my next question. What would you say is your relationship with driving? I guess you love driving and you prefer being the driver over the passenger most of the time? I do love driving. And then I actually, I, I'm pretty passive when it comes to that because I love road trips maybe more than I love driving. So if somebody else wants to drive, that's fine. <laughs> what would you say are your craziest driving experiences? Without a doubt, the first one is, it was called the Rickshaw Run. So there's this company called The Adventurists, and they put on these races or rallies all over the world. And one of them that they do 
is the rickshaw run in India. So you go to India. When I did it, I think there were like 80 teams that participated. And so we went to Rajasthan up north, and then we got in our tuk-tuks or our rickshaws, uh, and all 80 teams are just set off with like no plan or no route or no support. And the company basically says, we're going to throw a really fun party 2,500, 3,000 kilometers south. Uh, so if you get there, we'll be having a good time. That's pretty much it. And then you're just set off to drive in a little golf cart that goes like 35 kilometers an hour. That That's crazy. I mean, no directions, no nothing. And it's like, have fun. Yeah. <laughs> Enjoy. How many times did you get lost? Every day, all day. In the beginning, I was with two of my closest friends. And in the beginning, we were using internet or, or Google Maps. And then maybe a day or two in, we all agreed uh, that it was too simple. We were there to explore uh, and to get lost. And so we like turned that off and just used a little blue dot on Google Maps <laughs> and started like zooming in and zooming out and there'd be a co-pilot. And so they would like zoom all the way in and make an immediate route and then zoom all the way out and make like a big plan for the day. And yeah, doing that, we got lost all the time and it was great. What was your favorite part to like drive through? For me, well, there was some like beautiful countryside. That was really cool. When you get out into the roads where you're in some rural parts of India that are just really, really, really beautiful. But personally driving, like the roundabouts were crazy. You go into a roundabout and I, it was a manual. So it had the clutch on the left hand and then a gear shifter on the right hand. And none of us were particularly good at driving manuals. So we stalled a lot <laughs> and stalling in roundabouts in India with traffic just buzzing all around you is a really, really surreal experience. Yeah, I can imagine. Oh my God. Because we've been there once and I can just imagine how crazy it must have been. First, you don't know where you're going. How scary was it going into a roundabout for the first time? I enjoy situations like that. So for me, it was just like, whoa, like, here we go. This is going to be crazy. One of my friends, Reed, that was with us, he got scared. I'm going to call him out. But I think he got a little bit more nervous. And he still talks about how every day, like he was doing something while driving. And he was like, if I would have just not paid attention for one second, we would have been in a horrible crash. And I was like, yeah, that's why it's so fun. Your definition of fun is a little different than I feel like most people's definition. Yeah. How many were there of you in there? Just you and your friend or was there more of you? Carly was there too. I want to shout them out for sure. But <laughs> it was my friends Reed and Carly were with me and most teams were two or three people. So there was like a bench seat in the front with one person driving and then a bench in the back and the, the other two people would be in the back. We ended up doing about 10 hours of driving a day. So somebody would take the morning shift and then we would get hungry and stop and eat. And then somebody else would drive the afternoon and then somebody would drive the night. Did you make it <laughs> to we, the party? Yeah, we, we did make it. The, the company that puts that on is so fun. And one of the things they really try and stress is it's not a race. So the team that finishes first gets made fun of. It's like, what are you doing? Like, get back out there go see what's going on. And so most of the teams got there right at the end of the two weeks and just zoomed in with their little tuk-tuks and then they had a final party and it was really fun. How many times did yours break down? At least two that I remember. And the first one, the fuel line just broke off. It was just like a plastic tube and it just came off. And it was the first day, maybe an hour or two in, and the little tuk-tuk rumbled off to the side of the road and was dead. <laughs> My friends and I were like, uh-oh. And none of us know how to fix things like that. And I got really lucky that day, and I saw that it was the little fuel line, and we had zip ties. And so I zip tied it back on, 
it started back up. We kept going. We felt so cool. We fixed our, our little piece of machine on the side of the road. And then we were pretty much good. And then there was another time we broke down. And that's one of the coolest parts of the race is that we broke down. And within five minutes, local people had surrounded us and brought us to a mechanic. Uh, and we spent the whole day just watching as these mechanics fixed our tuk-tuk and hanging out, eating some food and stuff like that. And then they charged us the smallest amount of money and were so happy. And they were just happy to to fix the tuk-tuk and they thought they were part of the, the race. And we we're like, yeah, of course, this is the coolest. And then we were back on the road. Since you were driving rickshaws, I, I, I want to know how many times did people try to stop you and be like, give me a ride? <laughs> Not very many times, but asking for selfies. Wow. So many selfies, which was really, really fun. What would you say is your second craziest driving experience? Right after that, I my plan was to buy a motorcycle and drive across Nepal. That was that was my big romantic plan. And I was in Darjeeling and my debit card had a limit of how much money I could take out. And so I was taking out like, I don't know, a hundred, two hundred, three hundred dollars a day trying to get enough cash so I could buy a motorcycle. And one of the days I had one of those fanny packs that you wear under your t-shirt where you put your passport and your money. And I had all the cash that I had been taking out in the fanny pack. And I hitchhiked down the, the, the mountain a little bit or down the road a little bit to go to these different motorcycle shops. <laughs> and on the way, there was a really cool tea house. So I had the car drop me off at the tea house. I went to the tea house, got a tea. I went to pay and I realized I had put my fanny pack on the seat of the car and just left it. <laughs> and I was like, well... <laughs> That just made those people's day. They are going to have the best day of their life when they find a fanny pack with a bunch of cash in it. And I immediately realized I was not going to have enough money to buy another bike or to buy a bike. And so I decided to hitchhike. I ended up hitchhiking from Darjeeling to Rishikesh, but like through Nepal. Wow, that's crazy. And you said your passport was in there too? No, it's one of those things you do put oh, your passport okay. and money in. Yeah, so my passport was not in there. Oh, that's good <laughs> because yeah. that would yeah. be really difficult. I feel like it's really hard to get your passport back and go through that entire process once you lose your passport. Yeah, it's not fun. Oh my God. I just, I wish you got your money back. I mean, I don't, I doubt they would like turn around and be like, Hey, you left your money. <laughs> but yeah. There was like a, a moment of hope where it was like, maybe I'll go outside and they'll come back or something like that. They'll turn around and they'll be like, man, you forgot so much money. And then I thought about it or... <laughs> Uh, like you get home from a long drive where you picked up a hitchhiker and there's a fanny pack full of money and you're like, yeah, I'll just take that. That's fine. Never going to see him again. Yeah, that's, that's free money. How was the hitchhiking experience? Was it, were there any moments when you're in the, you know, vehicle with the other person and you're like, whoa, I, I shouldn't have gotten in this one. I've, I've been lucky. I do think in general, what I've found is that hitchhikers pick up hitchhikers. I really haven't had any situations where I, I felt threatened, which is uh, really lucky. Oh, that's good. I was going to say, because like, well, especially now, it's like hitchhiking can be very dangerous. <laughs> yeah, it felt safe. And I honestly, I got picked up mostly by big rigs. So most of the, the especially the long stretches I did were in big rigs. In those situations, there's usually a comfy little, not full bed, but almost like a couch or whatever in the back. And I would just be perched up on the couch reading or something, trying to talk to, to the driver a little bit. It was pretty fun. That's cool. You must have heard a lot of like interesting truck driver stories. <laughs> the, yeah. 
My favorite was the guy who did not speak very much English. And one of the first things he communicated to me was Trump was too much bad. And I was like, yeah, man, I can, I can agree with that. That's hilarious. Yeah. <laughs> what would you say is your third craziest driving experience? I did go to Australia and I bought, well, first I worked a wine harvest. And then when I finished the wine harvest, I bought a van and it was a 1990s Ford Econoline. It was one of those commercial vans and it had manual steering and it was a manual gear shift. I don't know how to talk about cars, <laughs> but it was a manual and, uh, and I didn't know how to drive that. And so I have this really funny memory of taking it to a mechanic and the mechanic gives me the keys and I'm trying to drive it out of the parking lot and I keep stalling it. And the mechanic's just with his <laughs> arms crossed looking at me like, uh, are you sure, man? And I was like, no, it'll be cool. It's cool. And I just kept driving, rolled it out of the mechanic shop, went to a roundabout and just kept rolling it through. Like, no, I can't stop. Everybody make way for me. Is this the van that broke down on you? Uh, well, it got stolen with my passport in it, so. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> yeah, yeah, like right when I was really starting to, to feel good uh, about driving it, I parked it in this city called Ballarat, and I was really excited to get back to the city. I thought it was really cool. It was an hour and a half outside of uh, Melbourne, and so I was I took the train, I parked the van in the train parking lot and got on the train, went to Melbourne, had the final lunch with my friends from the winery, and then the lunch included a lot of wine, so it turned into a night out. And then the last thing I knew, uh, I was on the last train back to Ballarat. And so I got to the parking lot at like two or three in the morning, and I went to where I was very confident I parked my van, and it wasn't there. And I was like, oh, no. <laughs> and I went to the police station, and I was like, hey, I think my van got towed. Is there somewhere where vans get towed around here? And he was like, where? did you park your van? And I said, the train station. He was like, mate, <laughs> it didn't get towed. It's gone. And I was like, all right, well, there goes all the, the things that I had. Wow. Even the police was like, nope, you're not getting yeah. that back. <laughs> no, 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 no. It's gone. Then how did you get your passport? It's the worst. There were a lot of pay phones involved, which I think is funny because like in the United States, at least, I feel payphones are not being used very often anymore. But my phone was in the van, I guess, as well. And so I, I was using payphones to just call different places to try and figure out the insurance for the van to try and get some money back and then like set appointments at the consulate. But it's just a really terrible process. You just have to go do a bunch of paperwork and then you, you're kind of trapped. You get a temporary passport and then you have to renew that. Just don't lose your passport. It's the worst. I'm sure that was a, an important lesson you learned. You probably make sure you have your passport now. Yeah. Now it <laughs> just stays in my pocket. I'm just going to tap every once in a while to make sure it's there. Yeah. How hard was it for you to... Have you, have you ever driven a manual before? I think you said the rickshaw was also... That was a hand <laughs> gear shift. Yeah. I mean, yeah. I, like I had, but never consistently. I had had a couple jobs where... I would need to drive a truck or something like that, but I feel like it was driving it short distances and not often. So getting in that van, knowing I was going to actually be doing it all the time, that was going to be interesting. And then on top of that, driving on the other side of the road. <laughs> yeah. yeah, that you do get used to that. I actually, in Australia, was so focused on that, that I never 
messed it up. And then I got back <laughs> and I was in the United States and a guy that I had worked with in Australia at a winery was in the same town and we were about to start another wine harvest. And he got in the car and I like talking to him, started driving on the wrong side of the road. In America, a car started coming right at me and I was like, oh, right. Yep. Other side. Oh <laughs> but I got really gosh. confused. <laughs> yeah. Oh yeah. I can see how that can get confusing though. Like once you get used to one side, then you have to like really think about it and be like, okay, which side of the road should I be on right now? Yeah. And that is the worst thing to have to be thinking about. Like it should, that should be a very obvious and natural feeling what side of the road to be on. Yeah, switching gears just a little bit, since you have been to so many different places, how would you describe the drivers in the different places that you've been? The thing I think about a lot is the attentiveness. I've tried to tell people this in the United States, but I, I prefer driving in an environment where everyone's honking at each other and everyone is very, very much focused on what is going on right in front of their vehicle. And then I feel in the States, everyone's texting and listening to music and the car's driving itself. It's like an attentiveness versus a passiveness. Yeah, I have noticed like our uncle had told us in India that it's very much just windshield driving. You don't look at your rear view. You don't look at anything. So it was like, okay, you only focus just, on the front. Yeah, you just don't hit whatever's right in front of you. And that seems to work out for everybody. How is it? Oh, you don't drive in Mexico right now. You just get an Uber. So how would you describe the drivers there versus maybe the U.S. or some other countries that you've been to? One thing I have noticed here is that when a light turns yellow, usually most cars stop or start to stop. But if you're at a crosswalk, even after the light turns red, four or five more cars are still going to go. So I've noticed that in Mexico City, you should really, really wait before you cross the street because there are some drivers that are going to take a red as, as an optional sign. That's good to know. Yeah. Just watch out wherever you go. Yeah, just keep your head on a swivel. You'll be fine. I, I've always worried about that here, though. It doesn't really happen that much in the States. But I'm always worried that someone's going to be like, no, I'm going to cross this red light. I don't care. I'm going. It's my turn whether the light says so or not. Now that we've heard a little bit about your crazy driving stories, let's dive into the type of driver that you are. So how would you describe yourself as a driver? And would you say that your family and friends would agree with that? Oof. Despite telling the crazy stories, I think I'm a very calm driver. I don't try and speed. I like, I like to go right at the speed limit and put it in cruise control and then just talk to whoever is, is in the car with me or listen to music. I find driving really relaxing. So I feel like I just settle in and drive nice and smoothly. And then I'm sure my family and friends would be like, no, man, that's not what it's like. <laughs> but I feel like I get the keys to drive often when, when I'm going somewhere with people. So there's a, a sign of confidence or trust there. Yeah, that's a good sign. If they're giving you the keys, then they trust you a little bit yeah. behind the wheel. Hopefully. <laughs> I mean, I hope they're not giving it to you and be like, I don't really trust you. But here you go. <laughs> You're the least likely to get us to the destination. Here are the keys. Make it interesting. Yeah. <laughs> Would you consider yourself someone who is a honker? Yeah, but not for angry reasons. So I grew up with parents that really loved honking for celebratory and sporadic reasons. <laughs> so that just got ingrained in me. And now it's like, just drive by something that you think looks cool and it's like, woo, honk the horn a couple times. <laughs> but I I rarely honk at people like in anger. We've heard that like 
Obviously, in the States, it's more of people honk in anger at others. Other countries, like I know India for sure and other Asian countries, honking is more of like a communication, like, hey, I'm here. Have you noticed that in other places? For sure. With the, the scooters and then the rickshaw, you're honking all the time, but it's in... And it's fun. You start to develop a bit of an ear for what sounds not rude because <laughs> you're not trying to just lay on the horn and pick up how it's going on around you. And you ju you're just tapping the horn all the time. We were talking about only focusing on what's in front of you. You're listening for the horns behind you. And it's just a form of communication. So everybody's participating in it. And it it's really cool. <laughs> Is that something that you would implement in your own driving? <laughs> like you need, you need the whole system, I think. Because I think if you gave me a scooter and I just went and drove around San Francisco honking at everybody, it, I don't think it would work as well. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> I don't think it would work as well in the US. <laughs> yeah. People will probably yeah. look at you like, what is this person doing? <laughs> yeah, and if you were just like right on somebody's bumper, just like honking at them, <laughs> that, that would go over really well. That's a great segue into our next question. What would you consider your biggest driving pet peeve? I know you say you don't honk at people for like angry reasons. My biggest driving pet peeve. Oh, it's uh, like when something terrible has caused traffic, not not something terrible, terrible, but when there is terrible traffic, that's what I meant. When there's terrible traffic and then somebody cuts all the way to the front of a line of like 10 or more cars and just starts weaseling their way in, that gets me to start honking. I get really upset when people try to pull that move. <laughs> that's something she does. <laughs> and then the worst part is when you're inevitably that person. <laughs> And then you're just yelling at yourself like, I know I'm terrible, but I'm really late. Yeah, we were driving to Pennsylvania once and in Pennsylvania, they don't go around as much as we're in Maryland. So like people here go around, they don't even wait a second. If you have your signal, they're going around you. As Taranji was saying, in Pennsylvania, drivers tend to like, they'll sit in line. If there's two lanes, they'll just happily wait behind the other person, even though the left lane's completely empty. If it's completely empty, I don't know if it's a Maryland thing or not, but it's like, it's the, the roads there. It's empty. Why are you not using it? <laughs> There's space for my car. I'm going to use the space for my car. <laughs> exactly. It just depends on where you grew up learning to drive and what the behavior of the drivers are. And you just carry that with you. So other states might not have the same kind of drivers and you're just like, why aren't you doing this? Yeah. I, I don't know what the reputation for California drivers is but we do roll through california stops so there's one thing we do that's what we've heard a lot about california <laughs> if there's nobody around you just kind of roll through it it's okay have you ever had an experience where either you had road rage or someone else had road rage towards you i've never had road rage but i definitely have i've, I've like cut people off on accident and then they just start like zooming as close to your bumper as possible and screaming and yelling. But road rage is, is the strangest thing. People lose it. They do. And uh, you being in California, I'm pretty sure with all the terrible traffic that there always is, you probably have seen it, even if, if it wasn't towards you, but like, oh, yeah. you've probably seen it every day. For sure. Yeah. If you if you get people all congested like that, somebody's going to start screaming. That That's going to happen. I, I just feel like some people get so mad that you're just like okay it's okay like we're all on the road if the traffic or something and like 
oh, one car gets in. It's like, just to let it go. Yeah. Have you guys seen any crazy road rage? Oh, yeah. Uh, <laughs> yeah. And I've actually had someone get super mad at me for I don't know what reason. Uh, that was the strangest part. I'm like, I don't know why you're mad at me. <laughs> we were in a neighborhood and I got to the first stop sign and then they like got on my bumper and started screaming and like pointing at the stop sign. And I'm like, okay. <laughs> Yep, that's the stop sign. <laughs> We're stopping. <laughs> and then that happened at every single stop sign. And there was five of them. And then we get to this four-way intersection. And he gets into the lane next to me and rolls down his window and starts yelling at me. And I'm like, I'm not looking at you. I'm not engaging. Nope. <laughs> and then he just zooms off and gets really close to me and cuts me off as he's going in front of me. And then I see him at the next light and I'm like driving really slowly, like turn green, turn green, turn green, please leave. Yeah, that's terrifying. So if you said there were five stop signs, was he getting progressively more mad at each one? Yeah, and I felt like he was going to really rear end me. And I seriously considered turning at one of the stop signs because I'm like, this road loops back around. Maybe I'll just like... <laughs> And I was going to school and I was like, I just want to get to class. I don't know what's going on. <laughs> Leave me alone. Just going to school, man. Exactly. That was that was crazy. People get mad. I don't know why, like for the strangest reasons. I can't wait for someone to come on this podcast and tell you a story about them going all road rage crazy. Because <laughs> there's no way anyone can tell a story like that and sound normal. Like the whole story is about how they just completely lost their marbles. It's going to be awesome. <laughs> right. But then would they accept that they got mad and actually share that? <laughs> uh, yeah. I would. I. I hope you guys find someone that really wants to vent about their road rage. <laughs> <laughs> I would like to hear the other side. Like, what was going through your mind? Yeah. <laughs> yep. I will be tuning in to see if that episode happens. We'll see. Maybe if someone's listening, it's like, oh, that's me. <laughs> Finally, my chance to tell my road rage story. Yeah. Let's go a little into your driving first. So how would you describe your first time driving experience and who was it with? One of the first times I remember driving was driving home from a friend's place 15 minutes away from my house because I, I was like 13 or something. And I think my dad had had a couple drinks and he was like, hey, why don't you drive home? And I was like, okay. <laughs> and I was so excited and we played music really loudly and I drove for 15 minutes and I thought it was the coolest. And then I had two older sisters and they let me drive every once in a while. And then one of our neighbors ratted on us and told my parents that they saw me driving. And then I finally got my license when I was 16 how was your driving test experience? Were you able to pass it on the first try? There was an urban legend that the Stockton driving test was hard because of the one-way streets downtown. And a bunch of people I knew went to Manteca, which is the small town like 30 minutes south. And the driving test was super easy. And so I went there and I passed on my first time. And I, I do remember passing. And then I remember my dad being like, do you want to drive home? And I was like, no. <laughs> I there, that was, there was so much buildup to getting this little certificate. I, I, I want to relax now. You can drive. My dad did the same thing. After I passed, he's like, okay, do you want to drive home now? I'm like, um, no, thank you. I just went through an intense experience. <laughs> Why do I, like a lot of people will like drive 
to the next town over, the next city over, because the test is so much easier. The place where we would go get our test is also known for being really hard. And so one would drive to the the headquarters yeah. in Maryland. Their yeah. test is super easy, I guess, because they're super busy. I don't know. But like everyone would go there and be like, yeah, I got my license. Yeah. And then, of course, the people in Manteca went to Stockton because the one in Stockton was easier. Like, I feel like uh, like people people just are maybe they don't want to fail the, the license test in their own city, because then if they fail somewhere else, it's like, oh, it was that other place. <laughs> It's because I did not know that area. You know, yeah. it wasn't me. Mm-hmm. Definitely wasn't me or my driving skills. It was that that other place. It's their fault. Did you have to parallel park on your test? I feel like no, because that seems like it would have been really hard. But I, I don't remember. The only thing I remember about my driving test is the guy asked me to take a right turn. And I think there's a specific, you're supposed to turn your blinker on within a specific distance. I remember being three football fields away from where I was supposed to turn. And I just turned the blinker on. It was probably going like 25 miles an hour. And we both just sat there in the quiet car while my blinker was blinking. And I remember he marked me down for that. But that's the only thing I remember. I don't remember parallel parking. I just remember that awkward silence with the blinker. Wow, so it's just like, turn right down there. Oh, turn right. Okay, let me remind (laughs) myself. That's crazy. (laughs) So now that we've heard a little bit about your past driving experience, your current driving experience, let's talk a little bit about the future of driving. With the possibility of self-driving cars becoming a thing sometime in the future, what are your thoughts on this and would you get in one? I would totally get in one. That sounds cool. I don't want one. I love driving. It is really interesting. It's it's going to happen, but there's there's a driver in me that wants to go on road trips forever. So unfortunately, I think I might push back against the driverless cars for a while. I agree. I enjoy just that being able to drive mm-hmm. that like, I don't know mm-hmm. if I would be willing to give that up. Yeah, but they're going to trick us when the inside doesn't look like cars we're used to anymore and it's just like a super comfy little room and you're playing cards and watching netflix and stuff like the day that happens i'll probably give up on driving or just have like a built-in override feature of like okay i feel like driving today yeah i'll take the wheel yeah there you go just give drivers the the option that's all we're asking for final bonus question time are you ready i'm ready if you could make one new driving law what would it be your, your horn should be able to track this somehow. And for every angry honk you let out, you have to let out a, ha- uh, a happy honk as well. That's awesome. Yeah. <laughs> so if you, let out, if you let out your anger, yeah, it's coming back. I wonder how they would detect that. Would it be like a pulse thing? You know, like those mood rings just have like a mood <laughs> horn. <laughs> uh, Chris, when you hit your horn, your heart rate was off the charts. I think that was an angry one. Let's try that again at a normal <laughs> pace. That would be hilarious if that actually happened. Do you have any final pieces of advice for new drivers or any driving tips that you would like to give other drivers? I would love to give a job tip that's related to driving. UPS, every Thanksgiving-ish, every like Christmas season, hires seasonal helpers. And it's a part-time job for like six weeks. And I've done it twice. And I did it in Petaluma. And then the route that we went on uh, through all the vineyards in Sonoma. And so my point is, if there are people out there listening that just love driving and seeing, seeing the road in a different way, that is a really cool job. And you get paid pretty well too. So I wanted to shout out that 
job opportunity for the drivers listening. Oh, that is a that's an interesting way to think about. It. You can explore the roads. Yeah, and then you and get paid. Yeah, you get paid. <laughs> you bring people their Christmas presents. It's pretty good. That's a great tip. Before we let you go, where can listeners find you? I have a website. It's uh, wanderlunge.com, which I thought was a funny play on words with wanderlust when I was in my 20s, and I'm going to stick to it now. But that's the website. And at this point, I write short fiction. So I'm trying to get one piece of short fiction out, just a little short story every month, and I'm having fun doing that. Thank you so much for joining us today. It was really fun talking to you here about your crazy rally experience breakdown experiences hitchhiking experiences thank you so much this was this was a blast so i can't wait to to keep listening to some episodes i truly loved the driving law that chris wanted to implement the celebratory horn i feel like that's such a cool thing that their family does instead of using the horn as like an angry gesture while you're driving they use it as like a fun little celebration sound i just love that just imagine if cars were customized with happy horns as opposed to like, I don't know, angry honks and they could be used for like happier purposes. Like I understand a horn's there for a warning, but sometimes I feel like people abuse that power. Yeah, I totally like the ability to be able to customize that because there's no other way to communicate other than basically your horn and your lights. What if it was- And it, it can be interpreted like so many different ways. Yeah, what if it was like how you customize your ringtone, but you could like <laughs> put phrases into it and be like, oh, have a nice day or like, thank you. Like that's what came but, out with the honk as opposed to like the like, you know, angry honk. <laughs> but they need to also have a way that they can't let you program angry stuff. Only positive vibes and comments like, can go out into the world. It would just reject if it. Yeah, uh-uh, try again. Like. <laughs> like uh, uh that, that was an angry honk now you have to do a happy honk to <laughs> balance it out exactly. let's try that again that wasn't happy <laughs> exactly that was when we were discussing of like if it, there was like a mood detection horn which mm -hmm. i feel like would be hilarious if cars <laughs> could sense your mood and be like i'm not gonna like you can beep all you want like hit the horn all you want there's gonna be no sound coming out until you're blood pressure level decreases at this moment <laughs> but see then also like it needs to be able to detect whether you're just in a foul mood or if you're actually trying to like beep it like in an emergency situation because like your blood pressure could go up and you're like an emergency adrenaline and you're like ah so yeah. the car needs to be able to be really good at understanding you <laughs> you must really connect with your car i mean i feel like we will probably get to that point like our smartphones got are to a point where i feel like they understand you to a point that they can like more than you know yeah i feel like their technology right now exists where it can get to know you as a person and target you with certain ads or things that are for you you know like something that you would actually like so i feel like it would get to that point yeah definitely but i love that idea now the thing that we always talk about is they need to invent a reverse horn so that you can communicate with the driver behind you because we have been in numerous situations where we're like, oh my god, that person is not paying attention. Like, I wish I could somehow honk, but honk for them, not the person in front of me. Yeah, it's like, no, no, I know the sound's coming forward, but I mean it for the person behind me. Yeah. You're good. What if it just, like, said, 
four behind me. Hog. Dear passenger behind me. Beep. Driver, not passenger. Oh, yeah. Driver. <laughs> Yelling at the passenger. <laughs> Maybe the passenger the distracting person, them. It's your fault the driver is driving like this. Yes. <laughs> I mean, eventually you're going to get to the point of cars driving themselves, so maybe they are just a passenger. They're not paying attention, so technically they are just a passenger in their car. Uh, if you put it that way. Look, I spun it around. And made your point correct. Yes. But I'm curious to hear your thoughts as listeners. Do you think that there should be a celebratory or like a mood horn? Comment down below or DM us on Instagram at Driveless Podcast. We're curious to hear your thoughts. And that was Chris, so we hope you enjoyed hearing his driving stories, and be sure to stay tuned until the end of this episode to hear a sneak peek of next week's episode with driver Shannon Martin. Who shares with us about the time her car kept overheating in Sri Lanka and getting rear-ended by a new driver. Thank you for tuning in this week, and if you enjoyed this podcast, you can help support the show by sharing it with your friends subscribing or leaving us a review it truly does help us get discovered thank you for choosing to drive with us and we'll see you next week we went to the great wall in beijing and they have these toboggans you can go down and you you have sort of a brake and a, a thing that you push that makes you go faster or slower but otherwise you're not really steering it kind of goes around but i my husband said, I'm going to get in the one in front of you. I'm going to go first and you'll go second. And he was really smart because I kept pulling the brakes. So I was so slow. So he was, they kind of yelled at him for speeding. So this is typical of our driving personalities. They were like, hey, slow down. And me, they were telling me to hurry up <laughs> because I was going so slow because I kept, I was like, brake. And he finished before me. So he was there and he had his, you know, phone. He took a picture and oh, I, I need to delete it somehow because it's me and a lineup of people behind where you're spaced out at the beginning, but they had gotten jammed up behind me. So I was causing a traffic jam. <laughs>